0: Hey there friends, and welcome back to Grounded in the Middle. I'm your host, Danielle Folk, and I am so glad that you are here with me today. Wanna become rooted in living your best life? Well, hop in the car, lace up those shoes, start that load of laundry, do whatever it is you need to do, and get ready for a quick trip into the country where I'm gonna share stories of homesteading life and restoration. Together, we're gonna dig into topics that will lead you to reflect, rethink, and become more rooted in who you are today and just know i am absolutely thrilled you decided to hit play and join me here today on grounded in the middle hey friends will you do me a favor after listening in to today's episode will you give it a quick review by doing so you will be helping this podcast reach other listeners just like you and don't forget Join me on Instagram at farmhouse storyteller and subscribe to the farmhouse storyteller journal at farmhousestoryteller.com. This is where you're going to get emails of recipes and other fun adventures here out in the middle. Well, friend, it is time for part three of "Did You Know Your Home Was a Part of the Underground Railroad?" And in case it's been a little bit since you listened to the last episode, I'll kind of give you a refresher. So we're talking about our home that was completed in 1837 out in Butler County, Ohio, and it was uh, the Weir family who settled here, John and Sarah Weir, and they ended up becoming active in their church community and sarah is the one who was on the um she was a charter member of the presbyterian church here in town but what's interesting is where i left off this past week is that that church was led by ab Gilliland, and he's an abolitionist his wife is an abolitionist they came from red oak presbyterian down along the ohio river And that is where A.B. Gilliland's father, James Gilliland, had began helping those seeking freedom from slavery. Just as a reminder, Underground Railroad activity was organized through the church. And this is because some of them believed that it was against what was written in the Bible, while other people believed that there was support in the Bible for slavery. And so you had that split occur. And so... A.B. is now up here, uh, just down the road from our home. He's over the church. Uh, There's also another um, pastor that is over at Venice and uh, the other Presbyterian church. And he is a staunch abolitionist as well. So based on the research that I have read and that the churches were involved in this organization um, of, or, or I should say, organizing Underground Railroad activity for freedom seekers. It's, it seems like all of this is connecting and making sense. But the question is, where does the rumor of our home being a part of the Underground Railroad, how do, how do we fit in? How does the home fit in? And, you know, it goes back to this was secretive and anyone who was involved was likely not going to mention it to anyone. And Those who were um, stops that were stations, you might know where if you had a freedom seeker come to your home, whether they hid in a barn, in your house, um, in a wagon, however you were involved, you might know the next stop that's ahead for them and you might know where they're coming from, but that's all you would know. And so you... The fact that the Weir family never openly came out or had any documentation or anything—that's um, that's exactly how it would be, and that was to keep them safe and their family safe. I read in a text from Wilbur Siebert, and he once once all of this had subsided and people started talking about slavery and having participated. He wrote in his report that it would be the smallest farming communities and that they would be the most active parts of the Underground Railroad. And it all kind of aligns with what I have uncovered here when researching our house. So this past week, I ended with talking about Martin Luther Weir. He ends up marrying Elizabeth Thompson. Her family are charter members for the Presbyterian Church here in town. They are also members of the Indian Creek Abolition Society. And Martin ends up marrying into that family. Well, I kind of dug in to who married them. When I did this research, I wanted to know kind of who they were involved with. Who did they do business with? And I wanted to know, well, it's a very personal thing to you know have your minister or pastor or Reverend Mary um, you. And usually that's a very meaningful thing. And so I wanted to know about that person. Well, it probably wasn't a year later in my research that I actually went back and looked into those um, those reverends who married the Weir um, kids. And wouldn't you know, I came across the name of Thomas Craven. And I typed in his name. And wouldn't you know, the Eleutherian College over in Lancaster, Indiana, which is across um, just across it's well, probably about two hours away, but he ends up starting a school and it is for those who are are free, those who aren't. It's for boys. It's for girls. He wanted them to have an education. At the time though, Thomas Craven is a Baptist. He's a Baptist reverend. He had been a Presbyterian and matter of fact, wouldn't you know, it perturbed his um, his wife's family because they had changed to Baptist. It's in the family history, and it really upset them that they went from Presbyterian to um, being Baptist. But during the time when he married Martin and Elizabeth, the question is, why is a Baptist preacher, why is he marrying them? What is the connection? And the only two things that I can think of is, one, our church, uh, the Presbyterian church, did not have a stated, like, pastor at the time and so and they traveled and so maybe they got married by Thomas because they didn't have a pastor that was around don't know how that if it's very kosher to if you can be a Presbyterian and a Baptist minister so maybe that's one way maybe they are close friends um, maybe there's a family connection so so those are those are things that I'm wondering about but I still have yet to to find something concrete. But when you're looking back into the past and the history, you know, I haven't found anything that tells me different. So I'm guessing it's one of those one of those ways that there's connected. So Thomas Craven though, I want to share with you about why this connection is so important. And his involvement here in the community and the fact that we have AB Gilliland over the Presbyterian churches. That's the focus is how Underground Railroad business was through the churches. A.B. has kind of the Ohio side and the Presbyterian Church, but Thomas Craven has a Baptist church community on the Indiana and Ohio state line. And it's organized very much the same as A.B. Gilliland. And while they could have worked together occasionally, they kind of had their own things going on, But I think in the end, I am sure that at some point in time, they were, I'm sure they were aware of what each other was doing. So, but none of us will ever know how close that contact was. Let me begin a little bit here with Thomas Craven, where he came from. He came from Pennsylvania and his parents, they had 19 children yes, I repeat 19 children, like almost a class size. <laughs> um, what I found really neat about it is one of the children was actually in charge of the estate of Thomas Jefferson when Thomas Jefferson was minister of France. And I personally thought that was really cool because I am actually an eighth cousin of Thomas Jefferson. So I, what a small world, right? His father was also with George Washington at Trenton, Princeton, Valley Forge, and Brandywine. It's really neat to think this person was here, you know, in our part of town and has such a neat history that came along with him. So Thomas Craven had, he had a love for learning. He only went to school for nine months and he ends up getting married um, in 1812 to Rebecca Selfridge. And they left a month later and they headed west out here to Butler County. And I think it's really neat to have a peek in the past. We see things on movies and such of what it was like back then to travel, but it's really neat to have a family member's account of what that trip was like. And so this is what was written by Thomas Craven and Rebecca's son. And it's about the trip here. And it says this, Having the necessary arrangements, we left Pittsburgh and floated slowly down the beautiful Ohio in consequence of the light winds, which generally blew from the west, the roof of our boat being high. However, after a slow passage of 17 days through a variety of beautiful scenery on every side, we landed safe at Columbia, below the mouth of the Little Miami, about five miles above Cincinnati on the 17th day of May. So it's really neat. You know, it's over 200 years old, that peak into the past and how they came here. So Craven comes to Indiana. He's along the Ohio-Indiana state line. He's in Indiana. He's a teacher at the time. He's got a cabin on land that he's purchased, and he is working um, as a teacher to pay off that land. Well, he ends up jumping across state line into Ohio, and he moves just a couple miles away from Miami University. His son, John, and him begin school together at Miami University, and wouldn't you know, he ends up graduating in, um, I believe it was 1842, 1842, but what's, what I find very interesting is what all is going on, though, while Thomas Craven is at Miami and he's going to school, He ends up getting his education. He's traveling to preach. He becomes the president of the anti-slavery Baptist in Cincinnati. It was a gentleman by the name of William Brisbane. He is a huge abolitionist. He is very well known in the history books. He ends up, though, appointing Thomas Craven. And William Brisbane actually comes up to our area. He comes to Hamilton, Ohio in the 1840s. And there is established a anti slavery like Butler county group, and so then, shortly after in eighteen forty four he makes thomas Craven Thomas Craven is then the president of it, and so I again I just through all of this continue to think of what is the relationship the Weirs have with Thomas Craven, you know and in how Thomas Craven, he was really at the top of being involved in this um, Underground Railroad business. And in the family history, it does say that he was an occasional conductor of the Underground Railroad. So he ends up building, though, during all of this going on, he ends up starting the Eleutherian uh, College. From there you know, starting the school and having obstacles with that. He was in a pretty safe, uh, pretty safe. Okay. He was in a sympathetic area where it was built. However, a lot of people didn't like what Thomas Craven was doing. And he ends up building this beautiful stone school. And I got the opportunity to present in that college on him. And I got to meet his descendants who are from Utah. And I tell you what, it is so neat to think that these people in the past our families have come together now in the future. And it just, it gives me goosebumps because it brings the past alive. It somehow, it somehow brings it back, um, you know, from 200 years ago. So anyways, I ended up finding out that Thomas Craven is involved in a handful of churches, Baptist churches, that they both, they are sit right along the state line. Well, the interesting thing is that these churches head north. Heading north is very significant as the Freedom Seekers were headed to Canada. And so these churches that Thomas Craven is involved with, many of them have stated in their uh, church records, which I have to tell you, if you ever want some good drama, you pick up some old church uh, minutes and it's all about people telling on each other or confessing what they've done. And it's actually quite interesting of what people were getting into back then. But anyways, north of where we live, there is a gentleman by the name of Levi Coffin. And wouldn't you know, the last church that Thomas Craven is involved with is the Elkhorn Church. And it is only 15 miles south of Levi Coffin. And Levi Coffin was a Quaker. He was active on the Underground Railroad. He was actually coined president of the Underground Railroad. He is said to have helped over 3,000 people get to freedom. And so the fact that the church is only 15 miles, typically stations on the Underground Railroad would be somewhere between 10 and 20 miles away. And so this church is directly below and Thomas Craven is involved in it. Well, In 1842, Thomas Craven ends up graduating from Miami University at the age of 50. And so he's had all this activity between the college and between these churches and becoming a member of these congregations or having been at these congregations for between the churches and between John Gill being at the Ohio river, it's almost this reflection. It's like a mirror. It's like you take the cin- what's going on on the Cincinnati side. You could just lay it over, over Indiana. And it's a reflection because what John Gill was doing is he was down there with his wife, helping those to freedom. And there's a gentleman by the name of George de And wouldn't you know, he lived in the Georgetown district and it was a, uh, it was where there were free blacks who lived there and they had churches and schools and businesses and such. But George the Baptist ends up being a huge player in the Underground Railroad. And he is described as having been the key nerve center of Underground Railroad activity in the 1830s and 1840s. And a really neat fact about him is that he used to run a wholesale shipping business. And guess where it went to? It went from Madison to Cincinnati on the river, and so it's connecting the two sides. And he ends up meeting William Henry Harrison, and then he is hired to be a steward of the White House during his presidency. But after Harrison's death, DeBaptiste returns to Madison, and he's running that barbershop um, in Madison, Indiana. So you got John Gill over there. He lives near DeBaptiste, and This gentleman, DeBaptiste, he ends up working with a gentleman by the name of William Beard. Now, that brings it right across the border to us. And William Beard is the one who, he connects Cincinnati, Underground Railroad Business to Cincinnati, as well as there's documentation of him working with Levi Coffin. And so the fact that William Beard is working with John DeBaptis, he, he... William Beard is like in the center. He's in the middle of it all. He knows both sides. And in my mind, I envision that he was kind of like, um, he's like a connector between the two, the two routes that run alongside the Ohio-Indiana side, the two routes of the Underground Railroad. So as I mentioned, in 1844, Thomas Craven ends up becoming the president of the Anti-Slavery Baptist in the First Baptist Church in Cincinnati. And it establishes a connection between these two people. And it's important because William Brisbane is such a well-known abolitionist at the time. And this is something that I found so very interesting about Thomas Craven. If you, you might be familiar with this name, Harriet Beecher Stowe. And she is connected to Levi Coffin, but she's down in Cincinnati. You might know her from, um, her book called Uncle Tom's Cabin. It was published in 1852 once she had left Cincinnati. This book that she wrote, she mentions that it is based on actual events that she saw firsthand. And she is important because she is the daughter of Lyman Beecher. And he is in, um, he's the president of Lane Theological Seminary in Cincinnati. It was, and again, they were against slavery there. But what is really interesting about Harriet Beecher Stowe and her husband, Calvin, they end up giving Thomas Craven a letter of recommendation to take to the abolitionist up east and asking for money to help with the Eleutherian College. And he actually ends up going a second time and asking for support. And so the fact that Thomas Craven, who's living here in our area He is connected to the Indiana side through all of the churches that stretch all the way north to Levi Coffin, who is the president of the Underground Railroad. He now has a connection all the way down to Cincinnati. And it's kind of creating this triangle between all of this activity and Thomas Craven is kind of at the center. And so I have to think that with the rumor Of our home being a part of the Underground Railroad, that it is highly likely that it's true. And in my research, I have not, I haven't researched to find information that makes it true. I have tried to find research that says it's not true. And all that I keep finding, every rock that I have turned over, points to this was an abolitionist community. And there was certainly undeniable connections with all these staunch abolitionists and so again looking back at what Wilbur Siebert has said through his reporting it was said that in the smallest communities such as farming communities they would often be the busiest on the Underground Railroad and so I have to tell you something though it's it's kind of funny you know I don't know how these things get shared because within the Weir family they, they don't know anything about it. And from what I hear, what I've been told is that they didn't talk about things. They didn't talk about the past. And so again, I am sure in order to keep their family safe and not knowing if it was ever a good time, you know, to share that information, I mean, but someone has said something somewhere down the line and it has, it still has me searching for connections. And ever since I started doing this series this month, I have gotten back into my research and wouldn't you know, I have found that there is another Thompson who married into the Weir family. We have other charter members of the church that married into the Weir family and so I'm finding just more support. It kind of strengthens, you know, this idea that it is probably very, very true. Um, we just don't know what their involvement was. They could have simply let people come in. They could have let them borrow their wagons. There's no, there's no way of knowing. Anyways, that's kind of my wrap up on, on our home's history. And I hope that in the days to come, I can find more information just so that I can share it with, with others. And you know, I had a local historian who has since passed when we first moved out here. I have all of these letters. I have all these letters telling me that I'm a bit, you know, I've been fooled by the locals that, you know, your home is a part of the Underground Railroad. And and I couldn't help but want to research it myself. And I'm so glad that I have because there is plenty of information out there that is, you know, you know, 200 years old, 150 years old that you can't deny this area was an abolitionist area and sometimes you know you have to make sure that it, that in anything that you don't always just pass along the message that it's true sometimes we have to do our due diligence and digging in and finding finding answers for ourselves because to think had I not taken the time and I only took his word that oh it wasn't true All of these things that I've been able to share, you know, with others and in the programs that I present, this history would never, it wouldn't be revealed. And I think it's important that we always take the time to kind of find answers for ourselves. So that is one takeaway that I do have from all of this is don't always believe the rumors unless you find the answers for yourself. So Friends, I so appreciate you tuning in this month and since this was kind of a recognition and celebration of the Underground Railroad and Frederick Douglass and Harriet Tubman they had picked this month because these this is the month that they had been freed and I hope that maybe it's kind of perked your interest and maybe you do a little reading on your own um, or that you've just simply enjoyed part of our home's history and you kind of stop and think about what these old homes have seen and what they have heard and oh you just wish if the walls you know could talk right so often we find ourselves speaking that but these homes they just have so much history to them and if you are someone who appreciates them I hope that you appreciated our home's history Uh, that I have shared with you this month. So friends, I hope you have a great week and I will see you next time.